0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com dot com. All right, thank you all for joining. Thank you all, our Torah Anytime uh, viewers and subscribers. Tonight we are learning <laughs> Leilu Nishmat Rabavram Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yecheskel Ben Rabavram. So the topic for tonight is a topic on Chesed, on kindness. Now there is many, many different ways and and. Uh, I guess, views to look at kindness. Some people think that they do kindness, and it's really far from kindness. Uh, There was a story that goes that there was a a wealthy man who was very, very stingy, and he would not give anything to anyone. And one time, there was a poor man that knocked on his door, and the poor man says, «Please, can you do me a favor? Can you give me something to eat?» And, and the rich guy says, listen, I don't know if you, uh, know what, you know, what people say about me, but you came to the wrong house. And the poor man looks at this mansion and he says, can you do something? And the rich man says, I'm sorry, I, you know, like I can't do anything. It's not, I, I just can't give. So the poor man said, listen, you know, like I'm starving. I'm not going to make it. Can you do me a favor? Give me even something that's from the garbage. Give me something. I just need something to survive. So, the rich man says, you know, to give you garbage, I think, I think I can do that. So he goes into the garbage, he finds some spoiled, you know, meat and, you know, some spoiled food, and he, uh, gives this to this poor man, and this poor man wolfs it down. And this is old, rotten, you know, food, and the second that it goes down, the poor man is like, uh, you know, like, you know, not such a smart idea, and he starts turning white, and then he faints and the rich man is sitting over there and he sees this poor you know person sitting in front of him his Let's air, use air quotes as guest, and he fainted. So he quickly picks him up, puts him in his car, and rushes him to the, you know, to the hospital. He says, you know, this guy just, you know, just fainted. So the, the doctors run some, uh, you know, some tests, and uh, they start putting him in IBG. Uh, you know, they try getting him back. He's going back and forth. He's hanging on, on life and death. And here, the rich man is sitting over here, uh, doesn't know what to do. He's sitting over there with his poor guest, and, and watching him as he's on the brink of, between life and death. After a few hours, unfortunately, the poor man doesn't make it and he passes on. This rich man feels bad. He goes and takes him, uh, you know, goes along with the kafura for the burial. And after the burial, he gets home and he sees that, uh, his wife sees him and he's very, he's very happy. He's like smiling, he's in a very good mood. So the wife says, like, why are you so happy? He says, well, you know, like, I know you had a, you know, a difficult day from the hospital to, you know, like, all, you know, all over the place. So the rich man looks at her and he says, you know... When can you do so much with so little? She's like, "What are you talking about? So much with so little?" She says, "I had a rotten piece of meat, a rotten piece of food that I did so many mitzvahs with it. Number one, I I did hachnasas Archim. I gave I gave this 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 poor man something to eat, and then I went and I went to visit him in the hospital. I took him to the hospital, and I went to visit him. I did biker cholim, and not only that, I also did leviasa mes. I also went and and uh, helped him on the burial. There's so much that I did with this rotten piece of meat." So here's this rich guy, he's looking at the, the act that he did and he's looking at it as an act of kindness, an act of amazing kindness that he was repaid 10 times for the kindness that he did. But in reality, we know what he did was really, really bad. And whenever we look at our life and we look at things that we do and things that we think are kindness, maybe they're not and things that we think maybe are, are are the opposite of kindness maybe according to the Torah they're actually kindness so it, it's apropos it, it pays for us to go and look into the Torah to see how we're supposed to do kindness and how we're supposed to do chesed and with that we could see what is really kindness that we do and what is not kindness what we do now kindness is a huge topic in the secular world especially especially in positive psychology a, a psychology where it's it's about the, the positivity the happiness of what brings joy the, The, um, the, I, the acts of kindness is. In the secular world and is brought down that it has so many benefits. It has been, and not only benefits like, okay, I feel good that I did something. No, but it actually changes the way that your body, like it, there's a chemical change in your body, meaning that there are levels. It's, it's what it's called in, uh, in layman's term, I guess, the helper's high where you feel this euphoria. You feel this when you do something good, you feel, you feel good about it. And you know, on the biochemical level, this is based on, it's centered a lot based on oxytocin and release of dopamine the, the, this this feeling is almost like a a minor feeling of like a morphine high like a, like it's a, it's a it's a it's a high that comes from doing good and it brings this internal type of, of happiness but now this is the question that I had, and this is a question that I, you know, that I, I told you guys before, before we went on on the recording, that I had this question. I couldn't find the answer until you know, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. And I'll tell you the question. The answer will be all the way at the very end. So the question is as follows: In the secular world, it's very, very important that you do good deeds. You do kindness because, in essence, it, do, it benefits it benefits you. Meaning that when you do good for others, there is a helper's high. You have a you have this this uh, oxytocin release. You have this dopamine release. You have this feeling that is good, and hence it's good to do to others because you gain for your uh, you know for yourself. But now this is the question that I had. So in the secular world, and this, there's a lot of people that came out with like a rebuttal on this theory, where if you do good for others, you will uh, you will enhance feel good, and it even goes further. that'd say that you'll feel you'll look younger because there's a certain releases of chemicals that if you help others, th- there's certain feelings that coincide in your in your chemical reaction that makes you look younger and feel younger and be healthier and dilates your blood vessel. Uh, the, the you know the the science is very long on it and very interesting, but we're not going to go through it today. But the one thing that is known is that you feel good about it. So where does that good feel? When you do something good for somebody else, where where does this come from? Like where does this good feeling stem from? So from the secular standpoint, it comes from because you feel appreciated. Meaning you feel it needed and there was a, there was a study done that when you did, when someone does something good for someone else and the other person appreciates it, uh, the other person thanks, you know, you for doing that good deed, you in turn feel good because you feel appreciated, you feel wanted, you feel, you know, you feel thanked, you, you feel that, that recipro- that you feel the gratitude that the other person is giving. So you feel good because the other person is making you feel good. But what happens if you do a good deed to somebody else and that other person ignores you or doesn't even know about it. Do you still have that that helper's high? Do you still feel good about what you've just done? So the secular uh, you know thought on it, and again, this is uh, there's a lot of different categories in it, but one particular one is that if you don't have that feeling of appreciation, the feeling good that you have is not the same as the feeling good as if you as if the other person appreciates what you, what you have done. So, this is from the secular standpoint, it seems that it's better to do kindness, it's better to do chesed, when the other person knows about it, when the other person could appreciate it, when the other person could thank you. But we know from the Torah standpoint... It's the opposite. The better, the highest level of Chesed is when you do it, and the other person doesn't even know about it, right? That's why the staka, one of the highest levels, is that you give in a one of the highest levels is that you give when the other person doesn't know who where it's coming from. Meaning, so the other person doesn't have the ability to even thank you because they don't know who you are. Now, why is this important? Because you're you're protecting the person that you're giving. Meaning that when you give someone to something, when you give someone something, that other person has a feeling that they owe you now. But now. Out, there's there's not that feeling because they can't connect what they gave to an actual to an actual person and this is the question that I had the question I had was wait a minute, we know the Torah is the right way to do, but when you look at it, you know like in a sense it's not really a contradiction, not really a question, but it bothered me a little bit, but you know like really it should be that if you don't know. The person, meaning that if you do it, the kindness, you do the chesed hidden, it should be greater than if you do it that the other person knows. And the secular is, is vice versa. So this is the question that I had and this, the question hopefully we'll be able to answer to some extent at the end of uh, tonight's sheer. So, I want to start off with uh, um, uh, two studies. There was a study that was done in the Journal of Social Psychology. This was uh, by, based off of researchers in Great Britain. That they took a group of people and they divided them into three different groups. Group number one was instructed to do daily acts of chesed. Daily acts of kindness for the next 10 days. 10 day study. Group number two. Was told to do something new each day for themselves. Meaning that you do something, uh, you know, something novel, something new. Group number three, no instruction. Just live, live your life as, uh, as usual. So 10 days went up and they all came back and they all had to participate in what is called a satisfaction survey. See how they were doing in the past uh, 10 days compared to where they were before the past 10 days and they ask a whole slew of questions. And they found out based on the study that the people that engaged in acts of kindness and the people that did something new like in, for themselves in these 10 days had a higher level, a boost, a higher boost in happiness than the third group who did nothing. But we see over here that doing good for others and doing good, doing something new for yourself kind of was on the equal standing point of where they felt better. They felt happier. They felt good. But then comes the second study, and the second study is, was was published in the Journal of Happiness uh, Studies. That this was conducted by Harvard Business School. Harvard used to be a name that you should be chashav. Now it's <laughs> going down into the dumps, and rightfully so. But still, you know the the the, the knowledge that comes out from it is high level. And they also University of British Columbia, and here they made a study where they took a group of people and they split them into half. The First half, they told them to remember the last time they spent either $20 or $100 on on themselves, meaning they bought something for themselves, either in the $20 range or in the $100 range. And they took the second group and they asked the same question, but instead of spending $20 or $100 on yourself, when was the last time that you spent $20 or $100 on somebody else? And whenever they had this memory in their mind, they were asked to c- complete a sort of a survey or a scale to measure how happy they were. And then what the researchers did is that they gave all these participants a certain sum of money, a small sum of money, and they gave them two choices. Either, number one, spend it on yourself, or number two, spend it on someone else. Give it a gift, it doesn't matter what, just on someone else. And they said, "You choose whatever is going to make you happy." Meaning, it, there is no other reason, other what will bring you the most joy. And they also said, "Whatever you decide, it will, you you'll be anonymous." Meaning, no one will know. Because if somebody knows, will be like, "Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give it to somebody else." Because so nobody's gonna know. It's gonna be anonymity. It's gonna be completely anonymous. Anonymous. No one's gonna know about it. Just do whatever makes you happy. So you had this group number one that was thinking about things that they bought for themselves. And you have group number two who was thinking about things that they bought for somebody else. Then they were giving, they were given money and said, now what are you going to do with this money? So they found two findings in this. First, they found that the people that gave money, that gave something to someone else, they felt happier, meaning that they use that money of $20 or $100 and they gave it to and they bought something for someone else they felt happier than the people that used that money $20 or $100 on themselves and they said they found something actually very interesting over here that it didn't matter like spending more money didn't increase the joy or the happiness the $20 or the $100 both both of them were on the same level of happiness more or less than um uh, you know compared to each other but they found that when you use the money for yourself You had a lower level of happiness as opposed to when you give to somebody else. But then that's the first thing that they found. The second thing that they found was the people that were thinking, were were asked to speak, to think about what the, the money that they gave to somebody else, they were more likely to now give the money that they received from the study to somebody else. I'll so just to give you a recap so know what you're, if you could be holding what we're talking about up here. There were two groups of people. One group was told to only think about money that they spent on themselves, either $20 or $100. Money that they spent on themselves. Group number two was think about the same amount of money but that you spent on somebody else the group that was thinking about spending money about somebody else was significantly higher in happiness. But also, the group num- the group that was thinking about spending money on somebody else, when they were given money and said, do whatever you want with it, they went and they gave the money to somebody else as a gift more than the people that were thi- just thinking about the money that they spent on themselves over here. And they called this the positive feedback loop, meaning that they came to the conclusion that when you do good things, eventually it's going to make you want to do more good things and more good things, and more good things. And this is what we know the Torah calls is mitzvah, goreris mitzvah. This is not something that you had to go study. You had to look in the Torah, you know, when it was given 3,300 years ago, and you could have figured this out right then and there. But it took the, you know, the scientific world uh, 3,300 years to come to this conclusion. But we see over here something very interesting. We see over here that when you do something good, you have a wanting, a wanting to do it good again. You want it to continue doing it. But there's another factor to that, and that is that when you do a mitzvah, you get a schus, you get a merit to do another mitzvah. And this is a topic that people tend to forget, or people tend to not know, or people tend to not correlate. When you do something, meaning that if someone is, does a lot for this, for the community, for klali for the world that's a merit that they have. I Meaning there are a lot of people that want to do a lot of good but they don't end up doing a lot of good. There's a lot of people that want to learn but they don't end up learning. The fact that you're able to listen to this class, the fact that you're able to learn any Torah, the fact that you're able to go online and you can listen to that is in itself a merit. We have to we don't realize that because we we tend to take that aspect for granted that when you're doing something good you have to realize you get, you, like, it's not just all on you that you did something good. Akadish Baruchu, God gave you a merit, a schos, to be able to do something good. So if you're listening to a Torah class, you got a merit from Akadish Baruchu that allowed you to go and listen to a Torah class. Many people, they they don't even have that option. They're going to sit in front of the TV or they're in front of whatever it is that they're wasting their time with. And they don't have that merit that you have that you're listening to a, a, a Torah thing. So there's two aspects over here. Number one, when you do a good deed, it brings you the opportunity to do another good deed but also just in a caveat and this is number 2 then when you do a good deed when you do a mitzvah it gives you the merit to be able to do another another mitzvah so that is the introduction and now we can begin to to speak about uh um the, the you know the topic at hand what I want to get to and that's on this week's parsha and uh, parsha's bow, in uh the shmais chapter 11 verse 2 a very very interesting pasuk very interesting verse. The Pasuk, the Pasuk tells us, speak to the people, and let them ask a man from his friend, and a woman from her friend, and a, and a from her friend. the simple translation of this, is that Akadish Brah was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, tell the people, that they should ask their friends, meaning the Egyptians, and the men will ask the men, the woman will ask the woman for gold and silver. And they will take the gold, you know, the gold and silver. So we have to ask a few questions over here. Well, we'll start with two questions. Question number one: Why does it say, uh, please take money? We know everybody or most people love money. You don't have to say, oh, please ask them to take the gold and take the silver. Everybody, well, what's the please of the asking it? Question number two is: What's up with Reeu? Reeu means a friend. Why does the Torah say, oh, go ask from your from your friends, the Egyptians, to take uh, gold and and silver? The Egyptians were not their friends, like, at least, the, the, you know, to our understanding. So, what is going on over here is that the Torah is telling us that, oh, yeah, the, the Moshe is telling the, the Jewish people to go and ask the friends, uh, your Egyptian friends, for the gold and the silver. So, the Sefer told us Adam, says that that what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, he first asked a Jew to tell another Jew to do chesed. Meaning, he said to one Jew to, to another... It, the Ishma Israel over here, according to the Tolus Adam, is initially is not referring to the Egyptians. It's talking about from one Jew to another Jew. Do chesed is basically what Hashem was telling. he says, You do chesed to the other one. Ask each one to borrow something. Ask each one for the you know, the woman will ask for the woman and the men will ask for the men. Why does why did Hashem want to do that? The so the Todo the Tolus Adam says that what happens is that when you do chesed over here, there is a uh There is there is a awakening. Of Chesed up in in Shammai, meaning that everything is Mida Kenegamida, everything is measure for measure. So if you do acts of Chesed, you do acts of kindness over here to your friend, there will be acts of kindness in in heaven, and what will in turn trickle down that there will be acts of kindness done also with the Egyptians. That when you ask the Egyptians for gold and silver, they will give it to you. Uh, you know, uh, as well as well, let's call it. So, meaning that there was the way that the Geula started. The way that it all originated was, it, it was, it was started through Chesed, and we have to try to uncover, we have to try to figure out why. Why did it start this way? So, when Moshe grew up and he went out of the palace, one of the first things that it says about Moshe, in fact, like at as an adult, this is the first thing the Torah tells you about Moshe Rabbeinu. It says, And there was in those days that Moshe grew up, and he went out to his brothers, and he saw in their suffering, and then the passage goes on that he saw that one, uh, that, that uh, an Egyptian was going to hit, uh, you know, a Jewish person. And we know the ending of it is that, uh, Moshe killed the Egyptian to save the Jewish person. So what's happening over here? So the Medrash goes on and says something very interesting. That Moshe went out and he, he saw their suffering. He saw that they were suffering. What was their suffering? The Medrash says they didn't have a day of rest. They're working seven days a week. All, every single day they were working. So he was the stepson of Paro, right? He lived in Paro's palace. Batya, Paro's, uh, daughter took care of, of Moshe, raised Moshe. So he goes over to Paro. And he says to Paro, he says, listen, you gotta do something for the, you know, your, your Jewish people, your slaves. He says, you're gonna kill them. They need a day of rest. So Paro goes and says, okay, I'll give them Shabbos, the, the, sh- the day Shabbos off. And they, that's where they got Shabbos off. And we spoke about those last week, what they were doing on Shabbos, they were reading the Megillus, whatever, we're not gonna get into that. But in any case, they got the day off. Ask them, this is what my friend breaks down, uh, uh, ask the Ikfe Erev. He says, why? Did Paro agree to save the Jewish people? Like, isn't the whole point of like everything, like Paro was throw all the baby boys into the river, you know, like kill, he wanted to kill out the Jewish people. So why is it when Moshe Abin was coming to Paro and he says, oh, by the way, what you're doing is going to destroy the, it's going to kill out the, your slaves. Paro should have been with like, good. That is the plan. Like that is what we're trying to do. But Paro is like, okay, fine. What, what, what can we do to save it? Oh, we can give a you know a day off. Okay, fine. So we'll give uh, you know we'll give uh, we'll give a day off. What's going on over here? So the answer is, is that originally Paro wanted to kill all the entire Jewish people. But what happened was is that you know as the years went by, Paro was getting free slave labor, and uh, free slave labor is really really good. It's it's great. So Parol Moshe knew this. Moshe knew that Paro's greed for free slave labor was greater than his need and want to kill out the Jewish people. So he acted on the 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 need of Paro to have that that free labor because if he goes and and all the Jewish slaves just you know die out, this is going to be a major shock to the Egyptian economy. So Moshe Abenu went and he he acted on that and he says, okay, now I I'm going to ask you, please give a day off for of them because. It's going to be for your benefit. It's going to be for the benefit of the slaves. They're going to be able to be to work better. So we see over here that Moshe Rabbeinu had an in. He had an inside ability to be to help the Jewish people. So now let's come to the scene at hand with the scene of this uh, you know in this pasuk where there is an Egyptian hitting a Jew and Moshe Rabbeinu goes and kills this Egyptian to save the Jew. But Moshe knew that this is going to come at a risk. The risk is is that Paro will find out that Moshe Abenu killed an Egyptian, and he's going to lose his inn. So, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be more beneficial for Moshe Abenu to let this Egyptian beat up this Jew? It'll take one for the team, but Moshe Rabbeinu will still have that in. He will still have the ability to help the Jewish people you know, in the future. And we could see how much he was able to help. He just went out at the beginning and he was already able to go and take it from seven days of a week of working to six days of a week. That's a significant help to the Jewish people. So why did Moshe risk everything just to be able to save one Jew? So the answer is so beautiful. The altar in Nevada, Nevada explains, that Moshe Rabbeinu, it says in the Pesach, he was looking this way and that and that way, so the simple interpretation, the simple explanation of this Pesach, is Moshe Rabbeinu saw that there was an Egyptian hitting a Jew, and Moshe Rabbeinu looked this way and that way, he saw nobody was around, no Egyptian was around, so he went and he killed the Egyptian and he went to save the Jew. But the Alta Nevada goes and says, no, 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 he explains the Pesach a little bit different. Moshe Rabbeinu saw this scene, where an Egyptian is beating up a Jew, and Moshe Rabbeinu was looking this way and that way. You know what he was looking for? He was looking for where are the other Jews? Why are they not standing up to this Egyptian? Why are they not going and saving this Jew? And he saw the ki ein ish. There was nobody. There was nobody that stood up for this man. There was no one. And and Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the Geulah, the way that Mashiach is going to come, the way that the end is going, to, the, the the way that the the redemption is going to come is only when you have that every Jew cares for every other Jew. But the Jewish people in the time of Mitzrayim, they were every man for himself. Everybody was focusing, focusing on himself. Like, well, I'm going to start going and risking my life. Everybody was on themselves. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the secret to Geulah was that every Jew needs to care about another Jew. The essence, really, of you look at the Torah. The Torah begins with chesed and ends with chesed. The, the, the you know the the of in helm tells us Olam Chesed Yibaneh. David Amalek tells us the world that stands on chesed. The Torah begins with chesed, where Hashem does kindness for um, for Adam and Chava by giving them clothing, and he ends in kindness because Hashem bar- helped bury Moshe Abin. <sighs> Excuse me. So Moshe Abin knew that. The world is built on kindness. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the geula comes because of the chasseh, because of you care for one another. And Moshe Rabbeinu looked this way and that way, and he saw that there was no Jews, there was nobody standing up. He says, I have to give up everything. What can I do? The Ga'ulah can, can come unless people see that you have to stand up and willing to sacrifice everything for your, for your fellow Jew. And Moshe Rabbeinu went, and he stood up, and even though that he lost his in, and he lost his power inside the, you know, inside the palace, and he was banished from the palace, and he had to go run away and be in exile for many, many years, but he said in order to start the process of redemption, he had to show the Jewish people that you want, you want to save yourselves, you want to get the redemption, you want to get out of this gullus, you want to get out of this exile, you gotta go and do for another person. You have to go and care for another person. If you don't care for another person, it's never going to start. So this is how it started. And this is why Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells the, the Moshe Rabbeinu Daber Nab Go and speak them. It says each one should ask from his friend. And what? It starts off ask from borrow. Do Chesed with one another. Once you do Chesed with one another, then it's going to go, and the, you're going to also going to ask from the Egyptian for the you know for the uh, you know let's call it the Chesed to give uh, to give the, the gold and the silver. And explains the Netziv. Listen to this beautiful idea. The Netziv says you know, the simple interpretation of the Pasek that the, the people will ask from their friends is actually referring to the Egyptian, right? They're asking from their friends. This is referring to the Egyptian friends. How, why, and since when are the Egyptians considered their friends, right? We said, so one interpretation is that the friends was talking about a Jew. One Jew to another Jew. But there's actually a simple interpretation. The Pasek shot is that it's referring to the Egyptians. It's referring to the Egyptians. So, and then it makes this question even stronger. Listen to this beautiful question. In Parsha Shamos, the Torah speaks about that when a, the woman was supposed to ask from her friend, it didn't use the word friend, it says you ask from your neighbor. It says in the Shemos, in chapter 3 verse 22, it says that the woman should ask from her neighbor because they were not friends. So in Parsha Shemos, the Egyptians were known as neighbors. In Parsha's Bo, in this week's Parsha, it's known as their friends. What changed from Parsha Shemos to Parsha's Bo? Answers the Nitziv. What happened in Makkah's Choshech? Right, in this week's Parsha is the the, the plague of darkness. The Plague of Darkness, we know that the Egyptians were not able to move. For th- at least three days, they were not able to move. How do they eat? How do they drink? How do they survive for three days without eating or drinking? And the answer is something miraculous, something that I had never heard before until this past week when I was learning this. And that is the Jewish people fed the Egyptians. The Jewish people knew the Egyptians are not able to eat. They're not able to drink. So the Jewish people went into their houses and gave them food and water to drink. And that's why the Egyptians realized that the Jewish people are now their friends. They saved their lives. So in Parsha's Shamos, they were just neighbors. They were their owners. They were the, the slave masters. They were the masters. But in Parsha's boat, all of a sudden, they became friends. They realized, oh wait, look at the chesed that you did for me. Look at the kindness that you did for me. And okay, so now the Torah says, now go ask from your friends to get to borrow, using air quotes, to borrow the clay klezav, to borrow the gold and the silver, the silver utensils so now we have to come to the to the next question the next question is like okay so we get the idea that you know it started off with the Jews and they were doing chesed with one another and then it went to the Egyptians and they were doing chesed because they did chesed before because they gave you know the food of their but the, que- the simple question is why why did it all have to why did we have to go in such a circumventing way to go and get the Egyptians to give the Jewish people the gold and the silver like why did it have to go this way so we know that the Torah in Baratius chapter fifteen verse fourteen, the uh Akadesh Baruch who promises to Avramavinu Avram to, to Abraham that the Jewish people will be enslaved, but ye, the Avachan, and after that Yetsuburchush Gadol, they will go out with great possessions, they will grow go out with tremendous amount of wealth. So, who needed to pay? You know, God gave a promise to, to to Avram, and the promise was they're going to be enslaved. That was checked off already. But now they have to go out and create wealth. So now Hashem says, "Listen, I gotta I gotta keep my word." So he says, "Go to your Egyptian friends, go to them, and take the and ask to borrow the gold and silver, because after all, this is what I promised your forefather Avram Avinu." So the question that we have to ask after that will be like. This is God that we're talking about. Couldn't he done it in any other way? I mean, Hashem gave the Jewish people food miraculously through the month. He gave them water miraculously through the well. There was so- Give them the money miraculously. Let them wake up in the morning and their entire, all their, all their belongings is full of gold and silver. Let it fall from heaven just like the man did. Like there's so many ways that God could have gave the Jewish people money. Why did it have to be in this such an odd way that they went and they had to ask to borrow the Egyptians? We have to ask that, what's the whole idea of borrowing? Like, well, you know, like either pay me for the slave labor that I did or, you know, like, like, you know, like give it to me, whatever. Like what's the idea of borrowing that I'm going to bring it back? So, in the back of many Gemaras, there is a commentary known as the Rashash, Rav Shmuel Shtarashon. This, the Rashash, was a very, he was a huge, huge tzaddik, a big-time He was also a very wealthy man. So he ran a Gemach, a free loan society, where people came and they borrowed money, interest-free, and they paid back, you know, at certain, you know, whenever the, the, the loan was due. So one time a tailor came to him and he says, you know, I need, uh, you know, I need to borrow some money. So they wrote up a document, they wrote up the star, they wrote up the, the, the agreement and says, you're going to return it by this amount of time and this is the amount of money. And They wrote everything, they signed everything and the tailor got his money and he went on his way. Sometime goes back and the tailor decides he's going to pay him back, uh, you know, if he got the money a little early, wants to pay back the rabbi a little bit early. So he goes over and knocks on the rabbi's, uh, you know, door. The rabbi, you know, t- you know, tells him to come in. The rabbi is in the middle of learning in one of his, uh, you know, one of his sifra. So the tailor comes in and he says, you know, I have money for the rabbi to uh, pay back for the loan that I borrowed. So the rabbi is like, okay, fine. You know, like he's he's still learning, and he, so he takes the money and he puts it in the safer that he's learning. He's stuck it in the safer and he starts turning the pages. And you know, he, by the time he finishes, he completely forgot that the money is there. Months go by, and the rabbi is looking at the ledger, and he's looking to see what is, you know, like who owes and who paid back. And he sees the tailor, and he says, okay, he says, oh, wait a minute, the tailor never paid me back. He didn't remember that the tailor paid him back because he put the money, was in, his mind wasn't was learning, and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't focused on the tailor giving him, uh, you know, the money. So he calls his tailor, and he says, I see over here that uh, you uh, borrowed money and you never paid him back. And the tailor says, no, I, I did pay you back. You know, I came over here on this and this date, and I, I gave you the money. And the you know the rasha says like, I'm sorry I have no recollection of it and the tailor says Ah but I gave it to you and then he says I would have remembered if you would have gave it to me and they, they went going back and forth the rasha says like, Okay let's take you to the let's take you let's go to court and see what the bezdin says they went to court and the the bezdin heard each side and the bezdin said you know it seems like the tailor is right that he paid it back and he doesn't have to pay anything back. So fine that that was the end of the uh, you know the court case, but word got out. Word got out that this tailor was going against the Rashash, meaning the big talmud the big Tzaddik, the gadol adar was going over there and says you owe me money. And this guy says no, I didn't owe you any money. Even though the bezin says he really didn't owe him any money, but people were like, okay, there's something wrong with this guy. Like we're not going to do business with this guy. Like you know if, if 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 the gadol adar says like you know he owes and he says he doesn't, even though he was you know uh, he, he he was. Not required to pay anything at all. They still the name went out there, and he started losing customers slowly and slowly more and more. Over the course of a few months, he lost everything, and nobody wanted to go over there. He had a bad name. He had to you know get up, sell his house, and he had to move to a different town. He moves to a different town. Some time goes by. And the Rashash is going and he's learning a safer that he learned, you know, that, that time when the tailor gave him the money. And he opens up the book, he opens up the safer and he sees the money and all of a sudden it all comes back to him and he realizes that the tailor paid him all those months ago. All those were years ago, however long this took. And he rushes to find out where this tailor lives. He runs to the tailor and he starts begging him, please forgive me. He says, you did pay me and I completely, you know, misunderstood. He's like, please forgive me. The tailor says, how am I, what am I going to forgive you? He says, my name is ruined. My business I have to go to a different town. He says, How am I supposed to forgive you? So the rabbi says, Okay, you know, I'll go into the town. I'll make public announcements that you were right and I was wrong all along. And the tailor says, Rabbi, he says, You know, what are people going to think? He says, You're a rabbi. You're a sweetheart of a man. He says, You feel, you'll, people say, Yeah, you feel bad for me because I had to, I lost my business. I had to go to a different town. He says, You'll feel bad for me. And that's why you're going around and you're telling people that really I'm right and you were wrong all along just because you feel, they're not going to really believe it. So the rabbi is thinking, he says, you know what, you're right. And the rabbi is thinking, and the rabbi says, you know what, but I have a different way that I can make it work. And the tailor says, how? And the rabbi says, listen, I have, I, I have a daughter, and you have a son, and they're both of marriageable age. He says, ordinarily, I would go for somebody who's very learned and, you know, who goes, at, you know, like coming from a house of a tailor. He says, uh, you know, I, you wouldn't be my choice of, of, you know, of the, of the type of boy that I would want for my daughter. But because of the situation, I want to make a shidduch from my daughter to your, to your son. So the tailor hears that to make a shidduch with the, with the child of a god dar He's like, he's like, I, you know, you can't give that up. And he says, done and what happened was is that once they went and the people found out that the al dar is really doing a shidduch with the tailor that he had this feud with about a while back they realized that everything was really settled and then when the when the rabbi says that oh he really didn't uh he really paid me back everybody really uh really believed him so what was happening over here the rabbi you know had to to rebuild the reputation and the self esteem of this tailor cuz he brought it down and how did he do that? By giving his, by sending up their children to in marriage together. So the, the 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 idea when God had to send the Jewish people out with great wealth. If the Jewish people would have received the money miraculously, if the compensation just came from heaven, they would have got the money, but they would not have gotten their self esteem. They would not have felt good about what they what they received. But if it came directly from the people that subjugated them. As sort of as almost like a payment for what you have what you know what we we have put you through. So now all of a sudden that becomes okay. So not only did they get their money, but they also kept their self-esteem. They had their pride. They were able to live with that. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically went, and specifically told them, he says, I want you to go and ask from your friends, ask from your neighbors, HaKadosh Baruch Hu orchestrated all around. Look at the kindness, look at the chesed of HaKadosh Baruch Barhu. First, in order to do that, you have to start with kindness with each, with one another. Then you're going to do the kindness with the you know with your with your other friends, the the Egyptians, because of the kindness of Makas Khoshak. And now that you, you're you're finally up to you know this, you're going to be able to go and ask them to borrow the gold and silver. Why do you need to take specifically the money from them? Because if you get it from anywhere else the pride, the the self-esteem, you're not going to be coming out of it. Haggadah says, when I give something, I give something with full. I don't give something with a partial, you know, a negative connotation to it where you're going to still come out of it. So they went out of Egypt with the money and with their self-esteem, with their pride intact. Asks Rabbeinu Nissim, why is it that the, you know, want to know why they they specifically had to borrow it? I'm um, using air quotes. They had to borrow the money and not just say, "Okay, give us the money," because this is compensation for what we have get well, all the work of the the, the the hundreds of years that we spend working for you for free. The reason why explains Rabbi Nissim that they have to say the words "borrow" is because Akedush who wanted the Egyptians to chase after the Jewish people. He wanted the Egyptians to come and chase after the Jewish people. And the question is, why? What is the point of having the Egyptians? Chase after the Jewish people because if the Egyptians would have said, "Okay, fine, here's your payment, let's be done with it." All these plagues were done with it. Just take it and go. The what would happen if the Jewish people left their captivity? They left it, but their kept their captors, the the people that were their masters, they still exist. They still in the you know in the land nearby. Would they ever feel free? What happens if you walk along the street and you see somebody that you used to be your master? You don't feel so good about it, right? Or you'll even be a little bit fearful, like maybe they're going to come take me back. The Jewish people would have never felt the true freedom. They will never felt the actual freedom unless the Egyptians are no longer. So in order to have the Egyptians no longer, the Akadosh Baruch orchestrated in a way that the Jewish people will borrow it initially. As if they don't, they can't ask for the compensation. They could have simply asked, this is compensation. The Egyptian would have been after nine plagues, after ten plagues, a bit like compensation, I'll pay you double, just get out of here. Right? But they was specifically an aspect of borrowing because what happens is when you borrow, the Egyptian says, wait a minute, they didn't pay this back, so let us chase after them. And when they chase after them, this Bochu destroyed them in the ocean. Destroyed them in the, you know, in the Red Sea. When the sea split, the, the Egyptians didn't make it, the Jews made it. Why did this all have to happen? Because that is the true freedom. The true freedom, and this is the true chesed of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the kindness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is where the, there is no negative there's no negative aspects of the other side, meaning that the Egyptians can't go and can't get them back. They can't go and they can't chase after them. They, their Egyptians are gone. They're done with. The Jewish people are now the, in, in, in they're ultimately free. So now we can begin to understand why HaKadosh Baruch Hu took the Jewish people out in this manner. And now we can begin to see the chesed, the kindness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, you know, did it. And with this, we can take it a step further. And that is, that why is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and he took them out after 10 plagues? Meaning is that couldn't Hashem just simply have done one big plague, and just like, until the Egyptians just like, be like, okay, we're, 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 you know, we're done with it. Or, better yet, what could have happened was that HaKadosh Baruch could have made the, the you know, the it, redemption of Mitzrayim similar to the redemption of Babel. Meaning that after the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, after the destruction of the first temple, the Jewish people were in exile in Babel, in Babylonia for 70 years. And then they went back. You know how they went back? It wasn't like a miraculous way they went back. The king of Persia... Uh, which was Koresh, Cyrus, and he was inspired. He was inspired. He went and he said, "You know, God uh, gave me all these kingdoms, and He commanded me to now to build the, 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 you know, the temple in in Jerusalem." And he told all the Jewish people, "Go back to Jerusalem and go build, rebuild your your temple." This could have happened in the exile of Egypt. Pharaoh could have had this change of heart, this mind, the change of mindset. And he says, you know what, I changed your mind, uh, you guys could all, you know, you want to leave, go ahead, just, just, very simple, just leave. Why is it that the the uh, God created the whole exodus in so many miraculous ways that it had to twist Paro's arm and say, okay, get out, now I want you to get out? Explains our Kluger that power had to be defeated this way. Why did he have to be defeated this way? Because God wanted every single one of us, every single Jew to realize that I am your God who took you out of Egypt. If it was like Koresh, if it was like Sire, if it was like it was in Persia in the, in the, by Babylon in the second, in the by the destruction of the first temple before the second temple, if it was like that, then you would have been okay. It was a change of heart. And we would feel like in debt to, uh, you know, to, you know, to Power. Power had a change of heart and it he let us out. But Bacchadosh Baruch says, no, no, no. He says, I want you to realize that it was nobody else other than me that took you out. You know, we say in the Seder. On the Passover Seder, and Pesach Seder, we say um, uh, that if uh, Kedush Baruch Hu wouldn't have saved us and taken us out of Egypt, then our children and our children's children will still be enslaved, it will still be Mishubadim to Parabemitzrayim, and the answer is like, what? Uh, famous question, is like, what are you talking about? This is, there's no more slavery anymore, like, you know, like, the, the the Jewish people will not be still, you know, slaves in Egypt, so what does it mean that Anu all us and all our children, they will be, still be Mishubadim, they will still be enslaved to Parabemitzrayim. Explains Rav Shlomo Kluger. Does you know what it means? Mishubadim. Mishubadim does not mean that you're enslaved. That means that you'll be in debt. Mishubad is the same same words for you be in debt. Meaning you'll be in debt to Paro. That if Par, if Hakadosh Baruch Hu didn't free us the way that he did, and instead it was the way that Paro just had to change your heart. And Paro decided, you know what? Let the Jewish people go. I'm, an, I'm a good guy, and I don't want any. You know, like okay, I, I cause them enough harm. Let them go out. Then we would feel in debt to Paro. After all, Paul just let us leave after all these years. Like, so we would have had this, this debt of gratitude that we had to give to, to Paul. And Akadish Baruch Hu says, no, no, no. I want you to know that you owe nobody, the, 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 the debt of gratitude you owe is to me and to nobody else. Only to Akadish Baruch. Hu. That's what Akadish Baruch Hu was saying. And, and, you know, many, many commentators explain that the gula, the final gula, the final redemption, when Mashiach comes, it's very similar. It's a paradigm to the, the Mitzrayim is a paradigm to the future geula. And that's how it's going to look at. And this is what raf Pam said many, many years ago. He says, you know, why is it that the nations of the world hate us so much? Why? Why? Why do they hate us so much? Because the Gemara tells us in Avodah Zarah page two b that in the future, when Mashiach comes, then the nations of the world are going to come to God and be like, we're here to collect reward. God said, what are you collecting word? He says, what do you mean? We built cities. We built tunnels. We built bridges. We built so many things. Well, Hamas is going to say they built tunnels. but Everybody else is going to say we built bridges. We built roads. We built cities. What do we... We build this all for the Jewish people. So, Akedesh says, you did what? He says, yeah, you got to give us reward. After all, we all cared about the Jewish people. And this is something very interesting. You want know what Rapam says? You know what the purpose of the United Nations are? Rapam, this is years ago. He says, you know what the purpose of the United Nations are? Because... What are, what is United Nations? Since its creation, it was just a forum to figure out how to bash Israel, how to bash the Jewish people. Because you want to know what the purpose of United Nations are? Is that every debate, every, every vote against the Jews, everything is recorded. Everything that South Africa is doing and everything that all the other lands are doing, everything is recorded. And when it comes to the time Mashiach comes, and all the nations are gonna come and be like, oh, wait a minute, we were here for the Jewish people. We hosted the Jewish people. South Africa's gonna come there and be like, oh, Jewish people are, you know, they flourished, they were here, They're, and Akhenes Brothers says, oh yeah, really? You wanna get reward? What happened over here? You're gonna to point to the United Nations, United Nations are gonna answer so much. Like, we don't even begin to realize the chesed that Akhenes Brothers doing with the United, the United Nations, you know, is not worth anything. Now. But when Mashiach comes, Oh, that's going to be payback. Everybody's going to come and be like, "Oh no!" But we were also part of the chosen nation because we helped them. And every vote, everything again—it's all. This is what Rav Palm said years and years ago. So this, we begin to see the Chesed, the kindness of how Akedas Baruchu goes and Akedas Baruchu acts. And it's getting a little belay, but we 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 have to get through a, few, uh, a little bit more now. When. I want to share with you something just on the aspect of Chesed and a little bit of a deviation, but we're going to get back to the topic at hand. When the Jewish people left Egypt, it says that the dogs didn't bark. Right? In Shemoz chapter 11, verse 7, it says, The dogs didn't bark. As a reward for that, the Apostle tells in Shemoz chapter 22, verse 30, that treifa leisachel, you're not allowed to eat, you're not allowed to eat treifa, this is an improperly uh, slaughtered meat, you can't eat that, but But give it to the dogs. Why? Because Baruch rewards, God rewards, every single animal, human, whatever it is. If you did something, you will get rewarded. The dogs didn't bark when the Jews left Egypt. So the reward is there. that they're going to get is they're going to get meat that the Jewish people can't eat. They'll, give, they'll feed it to the dogs. But there's another Pasuk. There is another verse in that says that every firstborn donkey has to be redeemed with a lamb and this is the this is the, the concept of, of of the sanctity of the of the firstborn now we know that there is a kedusha there is a sanctity of 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 uh, human beings and also of domesticated animals that firstborn are considered holy so the father of a human firstborn has to redeem his son by giving five silver coins to the kohen and the firstborn of animals also has a kedusha also has a sanctity and that has to also be given to a kohen but this only replies to kosher animals there is one exception. There is one exception to this rule, and that is the donkey. The donkey is considered holy. Where all the donkey is not a, is not a kosher animal, but it's considered the firstborn is considered holy. Why is it that the first the donkey is considered holy? Because the donkeys help the Jewish people carry out all their gold and silver that they borrowed from all their neighbors, all their friends. It, they, the the donkeys help them carry it out. And when the Jews took out all this money, they took out all this gold, all this silver, they couldn't do it by themselves, the donkey helped them, hence, the donkey now has a sanctity, has a kedusha of uh, the firstborn, just like the kosher animals and just like the, the, you know, the human, human beings. Asks Rabbi Yosef Chaim Sandfeld. Wait a minute, if we're dishing out the sanctity, the kadusha, why didn't the dogs get that? The dogs didn't bark, they got the improper improper meat. The donkeys they carried the gold, and they they got a higher level of reward. They got you know their sanctity, their kedusha, they're they're their holy. Uh, you know the, 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 there's a, there's a kedusha to the to the firstborn. So the answer is Rabbi Yisachar the answers that in the time of assessment the dogs just kept quiet, and when you keep quiet. You get rewarded, but the donkeys schlepped. The donkeys carried. The donkeys helped the, the Jewish people. It, it physically did. It didn't refrain from doing something bad. It did something positive. It, it schlepped for them. It did something good. It, this And that's why it's invested with Kedusha. It is given the, you know, the holiness. Because when you do something for someone else, that is a much higher level of refraining from doing something bad, you know, from someone else. And this, along these lines, we see something very interesting. Targum, Targum Yenus and Benoziel tells us that you look at dozen and Av- these are two Jews who were not the best Jews they were very wicked they didn't even want to leave Egypt it says that when the Jewish people left they didn't leave they stayed with Paro They they, they only joined the Jewish people later on but they stayed, they stayed with Paro. The question is asked is, how did these two Jew- how did these people stay alive? They, we know that only one fifth, only 20%, only a Chomish left the Egypt, the Egypt, you know, the Egyptian, you know, Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim. The, these were the righteous Jews. 80% were unworthy. They died in Makkah's Hosha. 20- 80% of the Jewish people died in the plague of darkness because they were not worthy. So how was it that these two people, they were worthy? They did so much bad. They were they were with the rebellion of Korach. They com- constantly complained about uh, you know with uh, uh, on Moshe Rabbeinu explains the Maral Diskin that these two people had a very special merit. They have a very special s'chus, and that were they were the overseers. The Egyptians hired people to oversee a group of of Jewish people, and if the Jew this Jewish group which was run and managed by a Jew. If they didn't produce enough bread, who got the head, the the the, the taskmaster, that the the one who was in charge of the group, he got the beating, or he would go and tell, uh, you know, the Egyptians who was the one who was slacking off. But these people, the you know, Dustin and Aviram, they took the beating for their fellow Jews. They did not want the Jews to take the beating. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu has a soft spot for a Jew who suffers on behalf of other Jews. Dustin and Aviram were wicked people. They were not good people, yet they survived through all, until the rebellion, until they went to Machlokas, they survived everything. How? Why did they survive so far? Because they did for someone else. They had this chesed aspect on them. That you see the impact of chesed. That you see the power of what chesed can do. That even if you fall so low, but if you still have chesed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is just going to save you and is going to give you. And this is where you see the the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. His first greatness was that aspect of chesed. Was that aspect of feeling for someone else. This first thing that the Torah says that we spoke about before. The first thing is that he saw their suffering. Rashi says he felt their pain. There is a special aspect when you feel the pain. You know, when you begin to feel for someone else. There's, right now there's a lot of people that have guilt, survivor's guilt, where, you know, the people are in Israel and they're suffering and, you know, they lost family members or their husbands are in the army or they're going and they're, they don't, they're, they're not, they're in America and they don't feel the same and they feel bad about that. They don't, they don't have that same, that same Suffering that the other people, that in itself is feeling for someone else. You know, it's very interesting in the way that it works, you know, the way that, you know, we're talking about over a hundred days since the, you know, since the attack on October 7th and you look at it. It's the people split into two groups. You have one group that kind of forgot and live, continue living life. And then you had another group that is, you know, like, they, they just feel guilt. They just feel bad. They're like, I, I get, I get this question quite often that, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, I have to, like, if I don't say to Hillam I think someone's going to die. Like, if I don't do, I have to just do this. Like, they feel guilty, of uh, enjoying life at this point because they can't. Like, the Jewish people, their Jewish brothers and sisters are suffering in Israel. Like, they, they feel bad, you know, like, in, in a sense, this is what the Torah Talking about is that Yarbis of Loisam and he, Moshe Rabinu felt in their sufferings, we have to feel for the sufferings of our of our friends, of our of our brothers and sisters in uh, you know Israel, and this is what Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to show so And he gave this all up. And he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to save this Jew because you have to know that in order to survive, you have to go and feel for somebody else. You have to go and to give to somebody else. You have to go and focus on somebody else and not on yourself. And this is the chesed of, of doing for others. I want to share with you a story from the Kav Yashar. Still thinking I wanted to make a series on the Kaviyasha. I still might do it. So the Kav brings down a story about a, a, a wealthy man. And this wealthy man had a beautiful, modest daughter, everything great, in deeds, and every, every aspect she was great. And he set her up to marry a great, you know, boy, someone who's well-learned, someone from a respected family. But unfortunately, the night of, after their wedding, this boy uh, was nifter, died. And it was terrible, you know, the whole, you know, everybody was feeling bad, you know, this uh, the first night after the, after the wedding, this person died, sometime goes by, and the father finds another amazing boy, respected family, well learned, and she goes and she marries this guy also, and uh, lo and behold, the next morning, this guy does not wake up, also dies, she's two for two he tries it he sometimes goes by finally there's a third time she marries somebody else and again right after the wedding this person doesn't doesn't wake up she goes and she tells his father and says listen he says three times I can't I can't I'm going to sit alone as a widow until HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, has mercy meanwhile this uh, wealthy person has a relative you know in a you know nearby country and this relative was extremely poor and he had many, many sons. And what he did was, is him and his oldest son would go into the forest, would chop down trees, would chop down wood, bring it into the city and sell firewood. And that's how they would uh, be able to uh, make a living. But they lived paycheck to paycheck. That means day by day. They, if they sold wood that day, they had something to eat. If they didn't, they didn't have anything to eat. They hit a rough patch and they didn't uh, they didn't make any uh, any money one day. And the entire family had to go to sleep hungry. The next morning, the father and the oldest son wake, you know, woke up and went back to work. But because of the weakness, uh, that the father had, he fainted, you know, in the forest. So the son goes, you know, revives and brings him back, and the son goes and tells his father, asks him for permission, and says, Do me a favor, father. We can't continue living this. Let me go out. Let me go and, and try to make some sort of, uh, business, some sort of, uh, money, I'll ask somebody, make, it, whatever it is, I'll try to bring home some money. So the father says, Go. So this boy goes, and he travels, right? He knew that he had a rich uncle. He goes and he travels to this rich uncle. And the Kabayashah continues with the story and says that this, they stayed for seven days. And the uncle was, at, the, I mean, this relative was asking about all, you know, the, you know the, 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 the entire family. After seven days, this relative goes and asks this boy, uh, th- this boy goes to his relative and says, Listen, I have a question. I have a, I have a request for you. Please don't leave me empty-handed. And, uh, you know, the relative says, What, what can I do for you? And he says, uh, I I know you have a daughter that's single. I'm single. I would like to marry your daughter. And this relative says, you know, as a distant relative, he says, listen, he says, he says, don't do it. You know, three men died the night of the wedding. Don't, I don't want you marrying my daughter. Like, that's not the thing that you need to do. And, uh, the guy says, no, no. you got, like, this is what I request. Please, please grant me my request. So the, you know the relative says, "What do you need? You need money. I'll give you money. Just don't marry her. It's like it's not going to end good for you." And the guy is pushing, pushing until finally the, the the relative says, "You know what? You want to fine?" He says, "We'll set it up. We'll set up the wedding date." They set up the wedding date. Day the day of the wedding, earlier on in the day, there was an old man that goes comes over to this uh, to this boy to the chassan, and tells him. He says, "Listen." He says, uh, um the, the boy already saw that there was something different about this old man. He did not look like a regular, normal human man. He looked like a, a righteous person. And, uh, this old man goes over to him and says, listen, when there's gonna be an old man, a poor old man that's gonna come to you in the wedding feast. And he's gonna ask you to do things, do everything that he asks. Give him the covenant, give him everything and anything that he asks. And with that he disappears. So you know the boy hears this, uh, you know continues on with the preparation. The day of the wedding, co- the 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 wedding time comes, and it's in the middle of the feast and meal. Everybody, everybody's busy. Everybody's rushing, giving over mazel Tov, And suddenly, there's a poor person really really poor comes into the wedding hall and is a ripped he's ripped clothing smells older and he uh, makes his way towards the chassan the chassan sees him he remembers what the old man told him he jumps up and he says please and he brings him and he sits this is the chassan he says, Sit, He sits down he gives him to eat and he says what can I do for you and this, this poor man is saying oh I want this I want this and the guy is running all over the place on his wedding night trying to make this uh, poor person you know happy After, uh, you know, after the wedding, this poor person comes over to this, to the chassan, and he says, uh, you know, I am a messenger from God. I am the Malacham Abbas, I'm the angel of death, and I came here to return your soul." So the groom, the chassan, starts begging for his life. He says, "You got to, you know, this is my. You can't just take me." And you know, the angel of death is like, "You're not having it." You know, you can't beg. You know, the angel of death. So the groom says, "You know, listen. You want to take my soul? I just got married. I need to ask my wife. I, you know, I gotta, gotta speak to her before I make any decision." So this uh, poor man, who's really the angel of death, goes says, "Because you have done me this favor." I'll let you, you know you were very good to me, you, were, you gave me everything, you jumped everything, all my requests during the wedding, I'll let you ask your wife. Go ask your wife. So the, wife, the, the husband goes and finds his wife, his wife was sitting in the room, and she was sitting and she was crying and saying to him, praying. And uh, the husband goes over to him and he says, you know, I, I came over here to say goodbye. She's like, what do you mean? Why are you saying goodbye? And he says, you know, my end has come. The angel of death came and he's here to take my soul. And she's like, What? the angel of death is here to take your soul and he's like he's he's right outside yeah like he told me like i you know i just asked to you know get permission you know i'm married and everything i got and she's like he said where's the angel of death he's like, right outside so the wife says you sit here i'm gonna go talk to him the guy says okay right you know like i'm not messing with my wife the day of the way of the marriage she goes out and she finds the angel of death and she says what you want to take my my husband he says yeah it's his time he says, but what doesn't, that? and she quotes a Pascha from the, from the, uh, the Torah. Pascha in Devaram, chapter 24, verse 5, it says, Chadasha, when a man marries a woman, it says that he has to say, Shana Achas, he has to stay with her, one year he has to stay with her, Vesamacha and he has to make his wife happy. He says, if you take my husband, he's not going to be able to make me happy. You're going to make the Torah, you know, be a lie. He says, how do you do that? So the angel of death says, you know, you, you ask a good question, but, you know, like, I'm just the messenger, I gotta speak to God. So he goes and asks Baruch Hu, what what am I supposed to do? So, Kadish Baruch Baruchu tells him, he says, because of the Chesed that your husband, that you know that that the the, the man, the husband did, you you're gonna let him let him uh, let him live. And the lesson is that we learn that we learn from this is that when you do kindness for somebody else, you're really doing kindness to yourself. We think that we're doing Chesed for somebody else. But in essence, the truth of the matter, we're only doing chesed for ourselves. And that's why the David Amal says in the Hillen, "Ach Achtai chesed yer difuni mechai. Says, I want kindness to yer difuni, is right is, is I want him to chase me. What is the chase? Azakzhaim, what's the chasing? What what's the chasing that that's happening over here from the chesed? Because when you do kindness to somebody else, it takes your time, it takes your money, it, there's things that come out of it, and you're like, okay, you know, I don't want says, I want kindness to chase after me. To look at, because if not kindness, something else will chase after me. And I'd rather kindness chase after me. And a man one, once came to the Chavetz Chaim. He wanted children. Didn't have children. Tried everything. Didn't have children. Went to the rabbi. So, uh, you know, Chavetz Chaim, the rabbi says, says, you know, it doesn't depend on me. He says, you know, this is the will of heaven. But I'll give you a piece of advice. Open up a gemach. Open up a free loan society. Open up something that you can give and help the, the people. And with that, you'll have tremendous amount of uh, you know success. So, he opens up a gemach within a year. Didn't have children for many, many years. Within one year, he had a baby boy. And he was a lady, you know, and, and he continued with the Gemach. And as he has one boy, one child after another, after, uh, after a few years, he had five children. A guy who couldn't have any children, all of a sudden had five children. But he has now a growing family, and it's becoming difficult for him to upkeep the Gemach. To be able to continue this, uh, you know, this, this kindness that he does for, for the, the public. So he goes over to the Chavetz Chaim and he says, listen, he says, I have a busy schedule. I have uh, my obligations to my wife. I have the obligations to my children. I can't continue with this Gemach. So the Chavetz Chaim says, tells him, he says, don't give up the Gemach, Hashem will help you. Hashem will give you the strength and you'll be able to continue doing it. But he decided, in any case, he couldn't handle it and he decided to close the Gemach. The night that he closed the Gemach, his son didn't feel well and he passed away. And he ran over to the rabbi. He says, rabbi, what am I supposed to do? So the Chafetz Chaim goes over to him and it says, You should know that you did not deserve children. You are not supposed to have children. What was designated from up above was that you won't have children. But because you started doing chesed for others, in Shema'im in the heaven, God had, had mercy on you. You did you did good kindness to others, God will do kindness to you. And therefore you have to go back. And continue, open the Gemach, manage the Gemach in order to protect the rest of your children. Cause when we do kindness, we don't do, we think we do kindness for other people, but really, in reality, we do kindness for ourselves. Just to give you one final story on this, the Nazis surrounded, a, you know, a city and the Jews inside knew that they were in trouble. And the families got together and they figured out there was 12 in the city, there was 12 safe spaces where they could all hide one particular family struggled and they were un- unable to get to any of the 12 places and one of the one of the girls of this family was like wait a minute not in one of these 12 places says there's a certain basement that's deserted that's hidden we could hide over there and the entire family runs and they were able to get into this uh into this basement they were a- they were- they spent 3 years in this basement and they were the only Jews in the entire city who survived the nazis for 3 years they stayed there until it was liberated and they were able to get out but how did they get to this basement? This little girl tells them, he says, you know how I remember this basement? So there was a poor man that used to live over here. And he goes, she goes over to her parents, he used to send me to bring them, to bring him food and bring him, you know, wash his clothing, to do chassid with him. And this was his house and that's how he remembered it. Because when we do kindness for others, in essence, we're really doing kindness, you kindness for ourselves. And this is why Rabbi Victor Miller writes, and he says that every day you should do one act of kindness that no one knows about pick up a gar- piece of garbage. Uh, do something, if you, if no one knows it's better, but at least do at least one act of kindness. That's why at least it's so amazing, dailygiving, dailygiving.org, a shout out to Daily Giving, is so amazing, where you could do one act, you could every day you're giving one dollar at least that's stuck up. You're doing something. So you do one act of kindness, do something for some sort of, uh, some act of kindness, same as Rabbi Victor Miller. So let's go over here, and let's try to do a recap over here and everything that we spoke about, and, and to answer the original question. So the original question that we asked, something that was bothering me, is that in the secular world, it seems that it's more better, it's b- more better, uh, better English, I should speak, may I, um, <laughs> that it is, it is uh, uh, more beneficial to a person, they feel better when the other person knows that they're doing kindness, because what, well, because they get appreciation, they get, there's, there's, a, there's enjoyment that they have over here, so we went through a long journey tonight, and I hope that you stuck with me, and just to give a recap, to be able to answer that question, we spoke about that the way that the Gula is going to come, the way that the redemption, the way the Mashiach is going to come, it's going to be through Chesed. The, uh, it's through acts of kindness. And this is also why uh, Gemara tells us that if you want to save from, from the Hevle Mashiach, you have to work, you have to do acts of kindness and learn Torah. Acts of kindness, Chesed is huge. So Moshe Rabinu saw this. Moshe Rabinu saw the importance of chesed and he saw that the Jewish people were not standing up, were not fighting for one another. There was no one. He looked here and he looked here and no one was saving this Jew who was about to be killed by this Egyptian. So he gave up his power. He gave up his position to teach a lesson to the Jewish people that you have to do for someone else because that's what's going to get you out of here. Because that's how it is. It has to start with chesed. And that's why. How did the redemption start? Because Baruch tells Moshe Rabbeinu, tell them to go and ask from their friends to borrow gold and silver. Why is it friends? So the two interpretations we gave. Number one, it was from the, your friends. You have to start from, from your Jewish friends because everything has to start with chesed with, with one of you. Once you start with chesed from your from your friends, then you branch it out. and Then you can do chesed from the uh, from the Egyptians. How do you get the chesed from the Egyptians? How the Egyptians' friends? Because you did chesed to them, you saved them when through the plague of darkness of uh, uh, to, you save the Egyptians. Now the question that we ask: is so why do we need to take the Egyptians' money? Why do we even begin to need this way? Because the Jewish people needed to be paid. But how do they get paid depends on, uh, on on different factors. And if they were able to get the money for the Egyptians, not only did they get paid, but they're also going to get their self esteem, their pride, with them as well. And not only that, Akedas Baruch Hu orchestrated in a way that the Jewish people should be chased by the Egyptians, so that the Egyptians should be able to die in the. In, in in the sea, and this way the Jewish people will be ultimately the the really free. Because otherwise they would always be looking over their shoulders when they, the Egyptians coming to take them home, when the Egyptians coming to take them back to uh, 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 to servitude. And this is the chesed that Hakadosh Baruch Hu orchestrated all in this all in this huge beautiful circle that we see and how everything worked out in the way that it needed to. And this was the chesed of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. and it wasn't like the 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 redemption of uh, the king of uh, Persia by Cyrus, where it, we would have if it would have been uh, the. Paro's change of heart. We would have been indebted to them. We would have been Meshubadim to parliaments, But HaKadosh Baruch who said, only to me you're going to be Meshubad. Only to me you're going to be the, your only work, you only have a service of, service of gratitude only to me. And this is how it's going to be in the future in the future it's only going to be Hashem in this day and age that we're going in the days that is very close to the Geula we're very close to Mashiach we have to realize that it's not going to be the United Nations it's not going to be United States we see how the United States is slowly slowly pulling away and making Israel do all these things we didn't really speak too much about the current events but we see over here that the United States what used to be a very strong supporter and still is a strong supporter but is starting to pull away and do things in a different uh, a different manner and the United Nations continue to be against uh, you know against Israel, why? Because Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to show us just like the the redemption of Mitzrayim. It was only Hakadosh Baruch Hu. It wasn't a change of heart of the of the United Nations. It wasn't a change of heart of the United States. It wasn't anybody else. Only Hakadosh Baruch Hu saved us from Mitzrayim, and that's what's going to happen in the end of the days. Only Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to save us, and that is what we have to rely. On. We have to rely and realize that it's only Hakadosh Baruch Hu that we could rely on. And this is the difference of why the, 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 the reward for the dogs and for the donkeys is very different because the donkeys they did something they 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 had the burden of uh, the Jewish people's money on their back they did something for them and just like Dasan and Aviram they did something they had the burden they had this this uh, doing for others they had this chesed aspect that Dasan Aviram and that's why they survived so long all the way until Machlokus and that's where it broke it broke it off but this is what the lesson that we need to learn that when you do for others there's so much power that come into it but then how do we go and how do we answer the original question? And the original question was that how come we see over here from the scientific aspect is that it's, oh, it's, uh, you know, it looks like it's better that when you do chesed that the other person can thank you. As opposed to when you do chesed that the other person doesn't know about it. And the answer is that's how we ended off. And oh, I have to thank could just buckle for this answer. It makes me feel good. I hope it makes you feel good. And the answer is, listen to this beautiful answer. Because when you do chesed for others, you're really doing chesed for yourself. That ultimately, yeah, we are selfish. We are. And when you do for others... In a sense, you're gonna to give to, you're gonna give to you, just like the story of the Kavi Yashar, where, you know, the, the, the poor ma- the man was giving to the poor man, the Chassan was giving to the poor man, and in essence, he just saved his life. Or in the story of the Nazis, and this, this, this family was going and says, I want you to go and help this poor man, in essence, it saved their life. Or it's the story of the Chavetz Chaim with the man who had the Gemach when he was doing for others, but in essence, he was really doing for himself. So you wanna know how and why it's gonna give you the ultimate happiness when you do kindness for others and somebody, and you're not gonna know about it, because you have to realize that anything you do for others, it's midah k'nege midah, that you're going to do for others, but ultimately Hashem is going to pay you back and that is the lesson that we have to have a takeaway and we have to realize that we want Mashiach to come we want the end of the, all these wars and we want the Geulah to come and the of Amikdash should be rebuilt so we have to start off with the Chesed, just like the Chesed started off in the Geulah in the Mitzrayim, we have to start off with the Chesed and we have to care about other people, we have to feel for other people and if you can't do anything about somebody else, but at least if you're feeling for somebody else that is already counts for something and with that, with the feeling and with the doing that we have, the Chesed that we have to be able to do to our brothers and sisters locally and in Israel, may Baruch help us and bring the Geula. B'mehira, amenu Okay, we will open up to questions. Ah, okay. Yes, thank you, Shira. You are you are my you are my opening. I can't say opening act because you are a standalone. Uh, uh, you know, amazing. But yes, absolutely to that. You know, to that comment. Okay. Oh, thank you for the kind words. okay here. I want to ask your uh, your thoughts regarding the Osaba bin Laden popularity. I know you want to discuss it, but you're short on time. Um, so I this, I think I spoke about it at one at, at one of the classes the uh, so so the, the question goes though, recently there has been a uh, started with uh, TikTok. There was a um, a burst of popularity to Osama bin Laden, which is something that is ridiculous. It's these are a burst of popularity from Americans about a terrorist that went and killed Americans. So how do you come to this you know conclusion where you have people that are so twisted that somebody that killed their neighbors, their friends, their you know some of them parents, they could come be like, oh yeah, you know, like uh, maybe Osama bin Laden uh, you know was right. Many lessons that we could take out of it, but uh, one of the one of the lessons I don't want to get into it. I I think I spoke about it. Maybe I did. I I definitely spoke about. it, Maybe I didn't record it. But one of the lessons, one of the one of the the takeaways is you see how twisted, um, how how twisted people can can be, and they could come to a reality where they could say that the most evil person, you know, in the past, who knows how many years is actually really good. When you don't have the Torah, when you go based on your own reasoning and your own logic, you have the you have the ability to make such radical errors. And this is such a lesson to learn that when you go based on your own emotions or when your own intelligence, you could sometimes come to such a stupid conclusion, such a wrong you know conclusion as 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 these these people did. But again, I don't know what you expect for this uh, generation where uh, you know um, a boy can be a girl and. girl could be a boy and and you know and they could decide to change and they could be a cat and a dragon and anything in between and you know these are these are unfortunately unhealthy minds um uh, so but but you could see the radical errors that uh you know you know that can come you know for, from it is helping your married children count as chesed? absolutely it is actually a class that i am uh, um I would like, to, I, I'm working on, 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 you know, the, the aspect of chesed and the aspect of servitude that, that, that must make. But 100% you, you help your children, that is chesed. If you stop and you think that you're doing, uh, you're being nice to your spouse, you're doing something with your kids, if you stop and you really, it's, this is a, this is a mitzvah. From Baruch. obviously you have to have a little bit of a kabana you have to you know think about it for a second and be like I'm doing it because you know this is what I need to do but you get reward for that you get reward for spending time with your wife you get reward for for spending time with your children there's many many uh, positive things that 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 happen that we don't even begin we think it's an obligation we we don't even realize that it is uh, you know a chesed and I realize now that we've got to say the kapitol to hell for the soldiers and for the people in Israel so we'll say as usual kapitol la. Flamed 130, and uh, then we will uh, close it off. I'd I like to thank you all for joining. Until next time, may you all have an amazing, amazing week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.